Welcome to this week's episode of the HC Hive, a podcast about all things HCI, UX, and grad school. We're now in Hershali, students in Georgia Tech's Human Computer Interaction Program. In this episode, we will be talking about narratives and storytelling in HCI. Today, we are joined by David, Inez, and Kyle. So, David, why don't you start us off with a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, I'm David. I'm a second year in the IC track. I did my undergrad in computer science with the focus in game dev before moving into HCI in the later years of my undergrad and ultimately coming to Georgia Tech. And I've been focusing more on research in my time here. Sweet. Thanks for joining us, David. I'm excited to hear about your game dev background and just kind of how that plays into this very cool topic. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Inez, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Inez. I'm a UX designer and a graphic designer, and I studied digital arts and sciences in undergrad with a focus on digital storytelling. And I'm a first year in the MSHCI program. Great to have you here, Inez. Very cool background. Very interesting. And I'm excited to hear about how it kind of plays into HCI and just kind of hear all about it. So thanks so much for joining us. And finally, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thanks. I'm Kyle. I'm a first year in the MSHCI program at Georgia Tech. I'm a psych track student. I got a bachelor's of science in psychology with a focus in on my research in neuroscience and behavioral psychology. And really now I'm just focused on music technology and just using all of the crazy psych theory and knowledge that I gained in my undergrad to actually create things that are I think are meaningful and fun. So Great. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us. We're super excited to have you um, on this episode episode of the podcast, um, especially hearing about David, your game dev background, Kyle with your psych background, and then Inez with your like kind of digital storytelling arts background. A lot of really diverse experiences that I think we'll get, we'll dive deeper into in the context of storytelling. So that's really cool. But yeah, just to start us off, how would you all kind of define storytelling in general, kind of independent of HCI and I guess, like, what do you guys think are kind of those key elements or those like really specific points that we should hit when we think about narratives? Um, Inez, maybe you can start us off on this one. Yeah, I would say storytelling is a tool that we use to communicate with each other and communicate ideas to other people. And a typical story would have obviously, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end, but within that it would have an introduction to the story, the characters of the world, and it would have rising action and a climax where just everything kind of comes together and then a resolution to the story. That's that's a really great description. Your the rising action and climax brought me back to like middle school language arts when we yeah. talked about <laughs> the breakdown of like literature and things like that. So that's really great. Short and sweet. Thank you for um, sharing that. Kyle, how about you? Do you agree with Inez or do you have like a slightly different take on this? Yeah, I really agree with that. I, I think like overall structurally, I think that's what storytelling is all about. I also really like for me, I think focusing on the purpose of storytelling, because I think more often than not, there is a purpose in storytelling, whether it's like you're at a bar with your friends and you're telling a story, like there is a purpose, even if you're not fully aware of what it is, right? And especially that's true in, in HCI storytelling or data storytelling. So I think just like emphasis on where that purpose is kind of brought up and you're reminded of that purpose and focus, I think happens a lot throughout. And I think that's like a big element of 
of storytelling that I think sometimes uh, we forget to recognize because lots of times in our daily lives, we don't think about the purpose of telling a funny story other than to make your friends last laugh or to get something off your back or something like that. Yeah, that's a really important distinction um, you just brought up about like kind of the purpose behind all these stories. I'm not just telling stories like just to tell them. Yeah, that's really great. How about you, David? Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts? For sure. Yeah. Narrative is definitely something that's talked a lot about in definitely the game world, especially. So I'm going to talk about it from my perspective in that. I, I agree with a lot of what Anis said about what the key elements of narrative were. Characters, plot, maybe I would add like conflict and pacing, especially in like something that we call interactive narrative in, in games is that you see the narrative responding to the player, uh, the player's actions and the role of the player is extremely important to how the narrative is in that sense you hear you know you see narrative structures that don't have those elements sometimes you know sometimes there is no resolution or sometimes there isn't even a climax or a central conflict so it is interesting to see kind of all the different pieces whether it's the purpose of narrative to the actual structure to kind of a, a narrative that is interactive and kind of provides this agency to a user there's so many different pieces that go into really effective storytelling so thanks for sharing all of those insights, guys. Wow, okay. That's that's really interesting, David, that you bring up interactive fiction because as Inez was responding to this question, I was just thinking about when I took the class interactive fiction here at Georgia Tech, and I remember we had a guest speaker, and he said that a lot of Western narratives will follow now, as you said, that sort of triangle of rising action, climax, and then resolution. And you explore kind of different literary traditions and styles of storytelling. But, you know, kind of taking it closer to HCI and what we're most familiar with, what role does storytelling play in human-computer interaction? You know, what is kind of the value of narrative when we do our research or our design or even our engineering? And, like, why is it important? Like, why, why should we value that? Uh, Kyle, maybe you can start us off on this one. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing that I like about storytelling in research in general and as an undergrad, I I really valued this going to conferences and, and being working on neuroscience research where it's a little hard. The concepts are a little out there depending on what you're talking about, right? So I really like the idea of storytelling, adding context and putting them, putting theories and ideas and findings into a relatable context that is easily understood, like an, an, something that's analogous. Like I kind of think of storytelling for HCI, like, you know, when somebody's talking about oh like there's a ship that's this long or something and it's like the length of five football fields right like i, I kind of think of it like that it's like if you said it was x amount of like ten thousand feet long it's kind of hard to conceptualize it's kind of hard to visualize but when you when you think about it as x number of football fields or the height of the empire state building like it all it all starts to kind of come together so that's really how i think about storytelling for hci that's really interesting yeah i as somebody who also used to do neuroscience research i definitely relate to the sentiment of talking about something that your audience probably doesn't understand. And yeah, I think storytelling, you're so right, is, is such a great tool for kind of taking something that's difficult to wrap your mind around and turn it into something that's easily translatable, easily understood. So that's a that's a great sort of insight there. David, how about you? Where does storytelling fall into HCI for you? For sure, yeah. I think for me, it 
it kind of falls in the same area as Kyle's where it's about giving context, but it, it's more about giving context about like almost the, the research process, right? So like when you're, when you're u- utilizing a lot of the key elements of narrative uh, and storytelling, you can do it in the HCI space. You can try to figure out the characters, which in this case would be the users. You can do the setting, which is what space you're in and the conflict, which is like the problem itself and you can just keep going on and on and on this allows you like to prepare more thoroughly in research but it's it also allows you to answer a lot of key questions in early research such as target audience and problem space that that you find people trying to figure out early on Hmm, nice so i guess if i understand correctly like storytelling serves as kind of a way to draw up like a blueprint of what you understand about the world and how you might go about solving a certain problem or addressing an opportunity and storytelling lets us kind of draw a map of what we need to do so that's that's kind of interesting I, I never really thought about it that way Inez how about you how does you know storytelling play into your design as, as a designer yeah I mean it it plays kind of in us in very similar ways as it does for both Kyle and David where it helps you empathize with the user and it helps you understand them and grounds you in their world so that when you're making decisions on the design, you're able to see and understand how the user would react to certain things or how they would learn to use or or just use general systems. And it's really helpful when you're making it because you're helping yourself understand them better and you're making something for them. So that's essential when you're designing something. That's really interesting. And I think, and both yours and David's view of like narrative, because I guess when uh, we were talking about this topic, like as an episode for the podcast, I was, I think my initial thought was like narratives in terms of like artifacts, which we'll get into later, like empathy maps, personas, journey maps, and things like that. But I always thought of those as not really artifacts that we use as like for research or design or engineering, but more of like using those artifacts as methods of persuasion, like to really pitch uh, certain design changes or why certain products or services should be made in general. So yeah, that's a really interesting viewpoint. And David, I really liked how you like laid out, like it, it makes a complete sense that like your characters or your users, the conflicts, the problem, the context is the problem space. It's like really easy to think about it in that sense, which I think will be really helpful like for me later on. So I'm going to, I don't know if you meant that as advice, but I'm going to take it as advice. Yeah. I just yeah, like and- using the relationship between the two. It helps me ground my research. Yeah, definitely. Kyle, I also love what you said about like the analogous roles that you see between like narrative and like research. And then even when Hershali was like trying to get a sense of what Dave was talking about, it seemed like she used the analogy as well with the blueprint and the maps. So that was kind of cool. So many levels. Ooh, meta. (laughs) Right. Wait, so I wonder, going back to kind of David's point about game design, I wonder if like the user is going through this narrative and then we in HCI are trying to interact with that narrative and modulate that? Is that what's happening? <laughs> You're going so deep right now. I really liked, David, I really like that idea and, and Inez too kind of both came at it from like an idea of we're both using storytelling in terms of explaining our user's journey and explaining the user's feelings, thoughts, and behaviors, but also explaining the research process and what role that plays in discovering like those thoughts, behaviors, and feelings. And, and they're really interconnected because you use one to do the other and, and 
they influence each other. So I, I thought that was really interesting. I, I can definitely see that happening. That's uh, we can definitely draw that analogy for sure, for sure. Sometimes I really do feel like it's that way because, you know, sometimes you're asked to review something or give feedback on a system, like especially in this program, since we're all designing something. And I sometimes I try to put myself in the shoes of the people I'm talking to and think like, okay, you're just going about your day. And then I'm asking you all these questions about this system that is like, you're kind of involved with in your life. And like, what does it mean to you? So it's almost it. It is interesting trying to get into like the, it kind of makes you think even more about how, how much this system and what you're talking about really matters and where does it fit into their, their life and, and just like even kind of in the meta when you're like talking about it. it yeah. It's, I feel like it's all, I feel like I'm getting spiritual here, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, now, yeah, that's a really great point, Kyle. And I think another thing is like narrative. Now I'm thinking it's not even just in the sense of like being researchers, designers, and, and engineers, like utilizing the power of a narrative. But even within the research process, I think it's really beneficial when like the users provide their own narratives. Because I we often ask them, like I know like in user interviews or focus groups or contextual inquiries, especially, but like questions like, oh, tell me about a time when, like dot, dot, dot. And then getting those anecdotes mm -hmm. and their stories kind of about how they use these technologies in those contexts are always like really helpful. Yeah. So lots of narratives like all around. But yeah, so I guess I'm kind of going deeper into just like the method of storytelling in general. So what are some of like the challenges or pitfalls? I feel like we've talked a lot about kind of like the benefits and the power of narratives here, but what are some of the challenges that come with sharing human stories when it's applied to like more technological or like business focused spaces? And David, maybe you can um, share a little bit of thought on this one. Yeah, I think especially in HCI, it's especially hard to separate like good story, good storytelling in HCI from just natural storytelling. It can be very easy to start to craft your own story with your own characters and users rather than the story that is driven by the pieces that you're given, like what the users are telling you. It's important to keep in mind that you're, it's important to keep keep in mind that while you don't understand everything about like the users yet, you should be focusing on finding that out rather than creating something yourself in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, David. I think it's easy, especially like I know in projects, probably for a lot of us, but um, speaking from my experience, I think it's really easy, like in the research phases or even design phases when you kind of get this feedback or like these stories from your users or from your participants. And then if you don't have all of the information, like you mentioned, David, like you, I think it's really, it's natural to want to fill in the gaps and kind of like make our own predictions or things like that. So yeah, that's a good point, but kind of taking initiative to find out more about their stories as opposed to crafting our own. I think that's really great. Inez, how about you? What are your thoughts on the challenges of storytelling? David, you know, you make a really good point about how we tend to like you said now fill in the gaps and put ourselves into these person when we're making personas these personas that we're making or these narratives that we're trying to build and it it kind of makes me think of outside of like narratives outside of technology because a good friend off she's a book editor and she often says that when somebody reads a book they come for the plot but they stay for the characters and when you're reading a story or, you know, watching it, just anything that has to do with the story, the, the really 
big important part and the reason that you stay is because there are compelling characters. So I think when we're trying to build these stories for our projects, we have to think about how we're able to create personas and characters and these stories that are compelling and that help ground ourselves in it and that persuade others to ground themselves in this user group or just a space. But we also have to find that balance where we're not putting ourselves in the story and we're not trying to fill in the gaps and come up with new things that might not actually be true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really great. And as I love the quote that you just, I think you quoted your friend just now about how you come. I love yeah. that. The, you come for the plot, but you stay for the characters. I'm going to ponder that for a little bit, but Kyle, while I'm pondering, would you like to share your <laughs> thoughts um, on the challenges or pitfalls of kind of narratives or storytelling in general? Yeah, I think Inez and David, those are, th- that's, it just hits it right on the head is like, you really have to worry about filling in the gaps yourself because storytelling really is such a natural thing that we do every day, big and small, and our memories aren't great. They're flawed, right? So it's so easy when you're recounting something, if it's not super, super justified by your evidence to fill in little blanks here and there that can really change your implications and stuff. I think I think another thing for storytelling that I, I really think is is dangerous i'll go back to like analogy just like a really brief anecdote when i was in my undergrad i was presenting at a a research showcase just a project i did where i took eeg data i was working with brain activity data and was using r to make a topographical map of a brain in in a cool kind of way and i used this analogy while i was presenting to a bunch of people who were just interested in the statistics program so not even neuroscience i was using this analogy that we were going to try to use this these data and this method to try to identify if if somebody had epilepsy and this was the data of somebody theoretically who had epilepsy and I, but I just used it, try, was trying to use it as a storytelling tool and then ended up at the end of the, to talk about this method, right? And I got to the end of this talk and all of the questions are like, so how did you get involved in, how did you get interested in epilepsy? And they're all questions about epilepsy and how is this going to help for people who have epilepsy? And the, really the whole point was to showcase the method and what I was doing. So I think that was almost a form of filling in the gaps, right? Like that was almost a form of like spinning it and, and getting too excited about trying to make it relatable and not centering the method and the research as much as I was centering the narrative and it kind of took a life of its own. So I try to make sure that I'm trying not to get so crazy with my storytelling tools and stuff that I'm like really focusing the data and the methods that I'm using or whatever it is that I really do want to be showcasing. Yeah, that's a really great example. Thanks for sharing that anecdote, Kyle. Um, I'm sorry they didn't end up asking you questions about the method and of your specific project, but at least they were <laughs> like pretty engaged, it seems like, from your presentation. Yeah, yeah. Confused, but engaged. It's flatter, right. flattery. Any publicity is good publicity. We'll leave it at that. But yeah, I just wanted to add really quickly, kind of as you were explaining that example, and I was thinking about David and Inez's answers as well. Like, I think along with filling in the gaps, I feel like in HCI especially, there's like this really weird balance between like, like amplifying kind of like our users' journeys or like their stories and like wanting to like maintain 
maintain like authenticity and like not I think it's really easy for us to like want to embellish some of their journeys or some of their stories in order to like really emphasize like certain pain points and challenges, especially. But I think sometimes those embellishments might be too much. This is something that I think happens in marketing a lot. Like when I used to do marketing, like it's in order to persuade someone like to buy a product or persuade people to like buy in on like what you're developing. It's really easy to like want to not like jump to conclusions, but um like take like a smallish problem that's like probably not the biggest deal but then you're like if this person doesn't buy this their life is over or something like that now i'm not saying that we do that in hci but i think when we want buy-in from people who aren't in ux so like your business partners at a company or like the finance department like things like that then i think it's very natural to want to really emphasize certain parts like that in order to kind of get these like products and services shipped. I feel like that might be more common in industry than academia, but who knows? Yeah. And you brought up the idea of balance. And I was thinking about how when Kyle was talking about his story, how a very similar thing happens when we're making designs and we go to test Like if we take the design too far and have the wrong color and we go to test it, people will focus on the color instead of the actual parts you're trying to test. So it it seems like HCI has a lot of these little things that you have to find a balance between the two where you're communicating what you want to communicate, but not going so far that people stray from the point. Mm. I love that analogy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's really important, I feel, because sometimes I feel like in research, and I don't know if the other researchers on the call have felt this, it's like when you really want to understand people in any capacity, you're stepping into just like a thicket, right? Like there's so much there. There's so much complexity in the human experience. And so pulling out like a very single thread, a single narrative from that can be really challenging because, you know, like, first of all, people are complicated and it's hard to do justice to them and, and, you know, provide enough detail. But then on the other side, you don't want to provide so much detail into that richness, into that complexity that the narrative that we want to focus on gets lost. You know, so it's like, and as, as you said, there's a balance, there's like a certain fidelity that's just right to effectively tell a story where you provide enough detail where other people understand the user, but on the flip side, they don't fixate on something about the user that's not important or that's not the focus of what we're trying to do as a business or as a team. Sorry, I love this episode. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Okay. So we can, we can move on to the next question then. So thinking about kind of these challenges that all of you guys highlighted, whether it's the fidelity of narrative or, you know, filling in the gaps with our own kind of experiences or imagination, you know, because this is so challenging and so nuanced, what advice would you give people who want to incorporate storytelling into their own HCI practice, whether they're researchers, designers, strategists, engineers, you know, how do we, how do we tell better stories about humans and technology? Inez, maybe you can start us off. I think I would say to focus on Focus on your user, focus on your persona, the character that you're building, because the the more you're able to understand them and the more you're able to think like them, the easier things will be and the better your design will be. But at, at the same time, I would also say after having this entire conversation about balance, it's also don't fill in the gas, but also, you know, find a balance between 
what is going too far and understanding your user or building that story for them. Yeah, so really, really finding that balance. I think that's where we've landed in this episode. Kyle, how about you? What What is kind of your advice for storytellers? Watch out, there's more finding your balance in this <laughs> one as well. But well, really, when I first thought about this question, even when we were talking about kind of on the last question about the pitfalls, I really was thinking it sounds cliche, but if you're a designer, if you're a researcher, if you're an engineer, like have your feet planted firmly in the data. And it's easy to say that. And I think for a lot of us, what that really means is knowing what your data can and what your data can't tell you. And I think that comes down to understanding the method that it was collected in or using and what kind of data is it? Because I really think like we're so obsessed with data, like as we should be, right? But sometimes I think it's easy to get lost in like, okay, I have data. Like I, t I talked to five people, like I have something, like we know, we know the narrative now, but it's really important to just kind of like stop yourself and say like, what is this actually telling me? Like what is, what are these deep rich stories and answers from these five people in this qualitative in these like semi-structured interviews right or contextual inquiry like what is that telling me and what am i missing like okay well maybe i'm missing different pieces of the population maybe i did a good job of segmenting and and finding a good balance of users for these these 12 interviews but now what can i really do to say something about the population right and i think that's something where when we're learning in this program and 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 even before that is is like you you have you achieve certain sample sizes because you're have like different kind of sampling techniques right and sometimes your sample sizes aren't big and you're tempted to come to a conclusion because the deadline's coming up and you really need to say something, but sometimes it's okay to say, like, I think it's actually probably one of the most important things to say what you don't know. And, and especially when you're talking to somebody who is keen to take your word for it, like, like a stakeholder who is, is there to believe you. I think it's really important to talk about what you don't know and what your data doesn't tell you and just being really specific about that. Oh, that's such an insightful point. Yeah, I think one of the biggest qualms I have with storytelling is that sometimes it's not grounded in the data. But I, I think, Kyle, like you raised kind of an equal but opposite concern where, you know, like there are limitations to data and, and how we collect it. And I think like as researchers and as people who are invested in hearing from people, I think we should also be cognizant of the things that we aren't hearing or, or the limitations of what we do so yeah that's that's a really interesting point i i had literally never thought of that and so thanks for sharing david how about you what's yeah, of kind course. of your advice for aspiring storytellers oh man you want me to follow up on this and kyle on that well i mean <laughs> I definitely, I definitely agree with a lot of it, what they said. I, I think for incorporating more storytelling into HCI, start by looking at what you currently do and look at, look at it through the lens of storytelling. And then as you eventually move on to tell better and better stories, I like to think about it through like the interactive fiction standpoint, like in interactive fiction, you're basically crafting a story and allowing the player to fill in the gaps themselves. Right. But when you move into HCI, it's almost like you're, you're filling in the gaps yourself whereas the the user or the whoever you're interviewing is telling their story and you're filling in the gaps and like crafting that story from that sense it's almost like you're the user 
Like you have to look at from the user's standpoint in that sense. And I think what Ines said about remembering about what the what the user wants and what the user is doing and looking at it from the user's viewpoint is very important to keep in mind in, in that sense. Yeah, I think this is all like really solid advice. And David, I really liked what you said just now about like understanding, because I feel like I feel like it's really easy in HCI to think about like, oh, we'll understand like the user's pain points and challenges in a problem space, which has a very like negative connotation to it sometimes, like what's wrong with the situation. But I think looking at it more generally or more holistic even of like, what's their story? What's their overall experience? Then even if they have like, they're currently having a good experience or something, how can we make it better or how we can make it more delightful or things like that? So yeah, that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. And I'll add to, I think like advice kind of going back to, I think something David said earlier in our episode, but I think advice like for incorporating more storytelling is really to just like expose yourself to good storytelling or like kind of think about, well, what is a good story to you? Like, is it the characters? Is it the problem space? Is it the context? Like what really pulls you in? Because depending on who your audience is, like you never know like what they will gravitate towards. So when Kyle was talking about like the data, like some people gravitate towards numbers or more quantitative data collection. Some people are more qualitative. They really love like the quotes and things that kind of show up in these artifacts we produce, like personas and things like that. But but yeah, that's all. Of, this is really great advice. I'll definitely take it. I don't if no one else will. I think everyone else will, but I'll take it for sure. But yeah, as we're kind of winding down this episode, um, it's time for our favorite part, which is the hot take. So for this episode's hot take question, tell us everything that is wrong with storytelling tools like personas and empathy maps. Anyone can take it from here. I do, I do have a question that it's not so much a hot take, but just something I never understood. I don't understand empathy maps. I don't understand how they're useful. <laughs> Like I've, I've made them before and I, I just, I, it feels like a waste of time. I don't, I just don't understand them. How could such a simple question already start flaming? <laughs> <laughs> David, do you have, or, or, or anyone, do you have a, an answer to that? Cause I'd really like uh, to hear the answer to that as well. Literally no idea. I guess I... my take, my take on it oh, no. is that I feel like Personas and empathy maps both are more for who you're presenting to rather than for yourself. Because I feel like if it's a good persona or empathy map, that means that you already got so much information that you can just move on, I feel like. I just don't think that, like, if it's not a good persona, for example, like, if you're, going back to what I said before, if you're just filling in the gaps yourself, then it's not really related to what you're trying to build in a user. But if it's good, that means you have all the info then what are you doing with it? And why are we doing this? I, I think it's more for presentation and like to, to show like your stakeholders or, or, or whoever you're talking to, like, hey, this is who we're talking to. This is who we're building a design for. And this is why maybe the design has this feature or something like that. I think it's just a, a point in which to ground something in, but I don't think they're very useful as storytelling tools for yourself. I'd, I'd agree. I think especially with something like personas or, or like journey maps, I definitely agree that sometimes they feel a lot more useful as tools for presentation and things like that. One thing I, I pulled up an empathy map just to look at it. So it's, you know, it's got the user in the middle and then it has says, thinks, does, and feels. And one thing that I've kind of always thought at once I was exposed to this kind of frame was I could see it being useful in 
a case where the user almost has like a cognitive dissonance or 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 just a dissonance in in what they say versus what they do and like like what they're sharing versus like what they really feel almost like you know when someone says like oh do you like do you like this system on a 5 point scale and they rate it a 4 for everything because it's like oh it's pretty good could be better but it's not terrible you know it 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 feels almost like it could be useful if you have something like that but i can't say that i've been in a situation where i'm like dang an empathy <laughs> this so is it weird. this is the cure all i <laughs> <laughs> would really get my point across cuz i think sometimes it's like the thinks part especially like and and even in some case the feels i think is is a little easier to get at but sometimes like the thinks domain is like well i don't really know what they're thinking like you're it feels like you're almost making too much of an inference sometimes depending on what you're really putting in there i think also to add on to that something that came to my mind when you guys were talking was that they can also be useful in making sure the entire team is on the same page i think th- i think this goes for both personas and empathy maps where y- you can have different ideas of who your user is but a persona and an empathy map would help everybody make sure you have the same idea mm. so like the documentation of Definitely. the user or our understanding of the user. Yeah. Oh, I see it. Okay, so hearing that, Inez, I'm like I'm imagining like you have all your stakeholders, researchers, designers, whoever, in a room together or online, remotely, on a mirror board, and you're kind of making this empathy map together, like discussing, oh, this is what our user says, things to feel. I don't. I I've been in a situation where someone like gave a template of an empathy map to like a participant. So that was. I don't know if that's how it's normally done, but it's. Like, <laughs> so that's why I think like okay, I would not that's use a lot of an power. empathy map because I was watching it and the layout was like this looks like a something like I don't know like you fill out in like grade school or elementary school like this is what I'm saying yeah. this is what I'm thinking oh my god so it's like a, a synthesis or like maybe like a tool to make sure everyone's on the same page I could see how that could be helpful but yeah so when I first like started getting into HCI I was already told that personas were garbage when I first came in and my first professor was like never use them and I just took it for granted at the beginning, but then I started thinking about, I'm like, why are they so bad? Or I guess in this sense, like, I feel like that it's so, they're not very good used as methods, I think, where you're trying to find out something new. I think it, like how they're supposed to be used is how we've been talking about them is uh, like, more as a grounding point in research where we've we've reached this the spot we found out this about the users and this is what our user is this is who our user is and just getting everyone on the same page so i have a real agenda against personas yeah i do not like personas and here's i guess here's my sort of take on it is that like people are making personas like they are straight up made up you know like they, they don't actually exist. Mm. And I think people like companies will treat personas as if, as if they're real people, but they're really like kind of figments of our imagination that we kind of come up with. And hopefully it's grounded in the data, right? Like we've taken kind of these like qualities that we've observed in actual people and then kind of mush them together into this like conglomerate average of whoever our user is. 
but I like I feel like those very rarely do justice to the actual complexity of our data or our users. And then also on the flip side, in the process of making personas, if you don't, if you aren't careful about your own biases or your own assumptions, those can really trickle into personas, and you can project so much into this character that you're building. They're literally yes. characters, and so I feel. Like Instead of personas, like user profiles and just being like, this is what our user makeup is. These are the types of people that would actually use our product or whatever. Like those are far, those are just as effective at, at bringing to life who our users are without, you know, being porous or being open to like our own assumptions or our own biases time trickling in. That's such an interesting idea because when personas were introduced to me or, or really in my qualitative methods class, we really talked about building personas and, and, and centering them like, okay, how, how can we help Jim? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think it, the idea of getting, and I've never really used them too hard frankly. So I think I never really considered the very real possibility that you can get too carried away with Jim and thinking that Jim is this beautiful aggregate of all of your data and design way too hard for Jim or solve all of Jim's problems and no one else's. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I never thought about it. Like yeah, that. I mean, even like, even when you say the name Jim, right, like that immediately brings a certain type of person in our head, right? Like we say that this is a male, we say that, you know, this is probably someone from like an English speaking country or like a Western country, like, immediately there's these assumptions that we start feeling and even when we hear the the name Jim. Yeah, I think that's like where it makes a lot of sense, like you said, to have a user profile where you're not personifying this profile too much, right? Like you're you're really hopefully centering the data more than you're center centering this figment. Yes. You get me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on your side. I'm one hundred percent on your side. You've you've radicalized yeah, me. Now. I'm I also like have it so what's interesting is I didn't know about personas as much until I joined HCI, like much like David was talking about from his experience and kind of how all of us were kind of talking about it. But when I was doing marketing, I think I mentioned this to Harshali before, so she'll hear the repeat example, but we would do anti-personas which were essentially people who weren't part of your target audience. And you would really try to map out how you could reach them. And that's why it was like the anti group. Mm. So yeah, so instead of like, which I think to I me, like that. makes more sense of like, oh, we're current, like, th this is our like, kind of like, uh, customer profile. And this is our target audience, we're already selling to them, they're loyal to us, like that type of thing. And then how do we reach the gyms of the world? Or like, how do we like reach people that could benefit <laughs> from our product, but aren't currently like using it or aren't currently loyal to us. So yeah, it's interesting because I, I never really thought about personas in a way or even anti personas is like, oh, wow, this is like a great tool. I thought it was just something that people do to like help with presentations or things like are like kind of convey a message like with stakeholders. But since joining, like, I guess the field of HCI and UX, like some people are like really like, oh, we must do personas. Like we have to do it. And I don't know why they're so like, why it's such a necessary step for some people. I find it kind of interesting. I really want to talk to those people, <laughs> like, like who's really passionate about personas and empathy maps and just like pick their brain and see like, why, why do you think the way that you do it? <laughs> Well, like, they were super popular, like, I would say circa 2012, you know, which is, which is a wild year, but like, they were, they were really popular for like a moment of time. And I feel like we're reaching a point where more and more people are like personas and not it, you know, but yeah, it's a lot of like legacy mentality as well. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think they're outdated now. 
yeah they've been outdated that's a good point i do have a follow-up <laughs> question and then like we can kind of wrap up this episode but so what's next so this isn't really like a hot take question but like we talked about empathy maps we talked about journey maps kind of user profiles personas really got into personas but what is like the next method of storytelling do you guys think radio dramas <laughs> i think yeah, I think TikTok personas exactly. probably already exist. Ooh. Oh, yeah, Ooh. probably. Yeah. Oh, I have before. I'll, we can wrap up this question oh, first, yes. but I have one more hot take as well mm -hmm. related to personas that I just remembered as well. But we can get back to that. You can't just Unless dangle that in front of us and be like, oh, we'll, we'll come back to it later. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. So I'm really curious about what you guys have seen in terms of people using personality inventories in their personas. Like the first time I Googled personas when we were learning about them, there was like this one section on all of them that was like, like a Myers-Briggs <laughs> freaking INFJ. And, and, and to the credit of my professor at the time, the, she was like, hell no, don't use that. But the reason I started thinking about it recently was because a couple people in the program, a couple first years and I were talking and they were saying that in their interview, the interviewer asked for what? their Myers-Briggs. Yeah, that, that happened to me. And I was, oh my, oh yeah. 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 So they, okay. it was actually before the interview, they had us like do a whole thing to introduce ourselves and then I sent it in and they were like, okay, well, before we schedule our interview, take this quiz to let us know, like, just so that we know a little bit more about you. And it was the oh Myers-Briggs quiz. And it, in my mind, I was like, am I not going to get an interview if you, like, judge me for being an introvert? Wait, I've done this too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Being from a psych background too, like, the <laughs> that's just the most triggering thing in the entire world because the Myers-Briggs is so outdated and so not what we know to be personality at this point. It's just not valid in the way we would imagine personality today. So there's like the big five, the five factor model of personality, which puts you on a spectrum of extroversion to introversion and agreeableness and all these, all these other domains. So it, it just, it just horrifies me. Like the first time I saw that on a persona sheet too it was extra scary because i'm like where are you getting this data first of all and then like what do you think it's telling you because you i promise you you do not have the background to be able to interpret that correctly no matter what inventory you're using oh my god like that's oh crazy god, so triggered this is a whole new wait world. wow wait you know what i think the like now i'm thinking myers-briggs has 16 different personalities right those 16 different personalities are literally just 16 personas because like little things that you would put on persona that's literally in a myers-briggs description wow you've just given me another <laughs> reason to hate personas. like wow. wow i feel like we really cracked something yeah. today here guys ux researchers are not personality psychologists and <laughs> that's my hill i'm willing to die on i mean I, maybe we're just lucky they don't ask us for like our astrological sign or okay you know? like, i'm just I'm gone if they ask that like you don't need me applying to that job they, i don't want them <laughs> and they don't want me wow this really went somewhere this is a great hot take session yeah this is this is good you're really letting me vent here i'm loving it so a huge, huge thank you to our guests, David, Kyle, Inez, all three of you guys for joining us on this episode of the HC Hive. We had a lot of fun. We learned a lot. And honestly, this was just a great episode. I thought a lot during this episode. And to all of our listeners out there and all of the gyms, tune in next time for an episode about data ethics. 
because if you know, you know. And if you don't, yikes.